to me, there's no question that a lot of ag land is going to go out of production. Some estimate as much as a million acres could be the worst ever. And I think the Colorado River watershed is, this is about uh, 20 years of drought. And we're reaching a point where probably later this year, for the first time in the history of the Colorado River, there will be a shortage declaration, which means that there's going to be a lot of programs that come into play to try to prevent Lake Mead and Lake Powell from running out of water. So this this is a, this is a new era that we're entering. It's it's pretty sobering and it's uh, it's it's a real challenge. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Everybody's talking about water and it's appropriate that they should talk about water. It's like the most important thing. And I have a guest today that has been talking about water for for many years and in the middle of what we could say literally is a hot spot, and that's Randy Record. And hey, Randy, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thank you, Roger. Good to see you. You know, Randy, you and I talked, uh, uh, gosh, it's been a couple years ago now, maybe maybe three years ago. And then we were talking all about water issues. And at that time, you were chairman of the Metropolitan Water District, which is includes Los Angeles and Southern California. And you're involved in agriculture, too. Now, you're no longer the chairman. You're still on the board and still um, probably up to your eyebrows in water issues. Yeah, uh, that's right. Well, first of all, explain what the Metropolitan Water District is so that we can some people can get that established in their mind. And then I want to talk about maybe what your connection has been with agriculture. Okay. So Metropolitan Water District of Southern California is a special district that was formed by the state of California in 1928 with the purpose of importing uh, supplemental supplies to the Met service area, which today is... Uh, six counties on the Southern California coastal plain, Ventura down to the Mexican border, includes 19 million people. And they began building an aqueduct from the Colorado River in the 1930s. And in 1941, received the first supply of water in Pasadena. Uh, Later in 1960, when the state uh, wanted to build a state water project, Metropolitan joined that effort and is the largest contractor for state project water and began receiving deliveries of that water in the 70s. So we have two supplies uh, on the Colorado River and on the state water project to supplement the local supplies in the metropolitan service area on the coastal plain of Southern California. Well, and both of them are going to have a hard time getting you all the water you want coming from either one of those directions. I just drove from across the country, Randy, and a couple of things surprised me driving across the country. And one is how green it was in Kansas and also Eastern Colorado. And then when I went over the Rockies and through the Rockies into Utah, it really dried up. And the source of that Colorado water, I've talked to some farmers since then and ranchers, even on the west slope of in Colorado, of the Rockies, uh, they had less snow to work with. The water is really endangered. 
and you're quite a ways down the road. I mean, there's a lot of people that have got their straws in that water uh, before it makes it all the way to Southern California and around Los Angeles. So we're talking here about a lot of the water that comes from the north and down the canals and everything that makes its way down there. But you're also, you're hitting it from two sides and, right. and they both are stressed on water, it seems. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting. It used to be that when one watershed maybe had a dry year, the other one was okay. But lately with climate change, we've seen both watersheds really impacted. And with the rise in temperatures, we've seen the ground dry out so that when we get what in years past would have been normal rainfall or snowpack, the runoff is not the same because the ground is so dry that it sucks up a lot of that moisture. So it's it's been really tough, um, especially the last uh, 10 years. Is there any disagreement that um, among the people that you're around in the water industry that that climate change is a is a major factor that's a, that's contributing to this being worse than it was? You know, Roger, I think there's a few people that may uh, discredit the climate change thought, but the vast majority of people I work with say that there's just no question about it. We're getting less precipitation. And it's changing its forms. What we're getting is more rainfall, less snowpack, and we're getting more intense uh, rain events. So the snowpack was great because it would slowly melt and provide sort of a reservoir during the spring and early summer. And we just don't have that anymore. You know, when you talk about those intense rains, I remember hearing somebody say that really Los Angeles wouldn't have a water problem if it could hold on to all of the water when they had the rainy season, which, you know, we just got a couple months that it usually rains. But is that is that true? Or am I imagining that? That somebody was, you know, pointing out that there's a lot, a lot of water escapes from Los Angeles. No, you're 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 right. I'm not sure that they would have everything they needed if they would capture all that water. But um, when the city was developing, you know, many decades ago, the idea was, well, let's get this water away. It's a flooding issue and get it out to the ocean. And And the city of Los Angeles has been very aggressive lately on stormwater capture. They've uh, created some funding mechanisms and uh, they're reestablishing the LA River and they're trying very hard to get back to making best use of whatever water becomes available in, in their area. We're kind of getting around to the answer to one of the questions I had, and that is, how is this different? Because when I came, the first time I came to California many, many, many years ago, I was impressed of what was going on with water. And then later, as I got involved in agriculture organizations, it struck me that once you started into water, you could go to water meetings pretty much every day, you know, there was because there was so much happening in, in the state. So water has been a focus in California. Again, I, it just seems like, you, you know, this is really a critical stage. And that brings back, I think, the, the next part of that question is that we've had droughts before and we've had, you know, complications before. You've mentioned already climate change, but is this really shaping up to be um, as bad as ever or maybe one of, one of the worst ever that we're starting into right now? It is, Roger. It, it could be the worst ever. And I think the Colorado River watershed is, this is about uh, 20 years of drought. And we're reaching a point where 
probably later this year, for the first time in the history of the Colorado River, there will be a shortage declaration, which means that there's going to be a lot of programs that come into play to try to prevent Lake Mead and Lake Powell from running out of water. So this this is a, this is a new era that we're entering. It's it's pretty sobering and it's uh, it's it's a real challenge. You know, when you said Lake Powell and Lake Mead, so mostly the Colorado River, those are sort of reservoirs for them, right? To the Colorado River, there's holding water in those lakes. And then right. all along the rivers as it's, as it's leaving there and making its way through, what, New Mexico, Arizona, you know, Colorado, some of Colorado back into California. Even Mexico gets some of that water. Is that? That's correct. Yeah. When they decided to allocate the water, I think it was back in the 20, 1920s, the best guess was that there were 15 million acre feet available. And so that was divided among seven uh, basin states on the Colorado River and some Indian tribes and also uh, the country of Mexico, which is supposed to get about a million acre feet. And over time, it was determined that that was probably wrong, that the average runoff into the Colorado River is not 15 million acre feet. So it's been a challenge to try to figure out how to how to make that up. Well, let's talk uh, a, a minute about the system in California, because you mentioned there's a, a state program and there's a federal program and there's local programs and there's canals. Uh, how do you, could you try to explain that to, to people so we could, they could kind of picture this abstract maze of all of these delivery systems and where water is parked and how it makes its way through this, the state of California? Sure. No problem, Roger. Give me about three hours and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll give you yeah, a snapshot. I know. I, know. But, I mean, well, I mean, I was uh, one thing I picked up the paper this morning and um, I, actually I read my paper online in case anyone panics and can't remember what the papers were like, but I do read my paper online and the, the whole story was showing all these reservoirs and the major reservoirs are down to about nothing. They're about as low as yeah. as you can go, and you know, right. all over. So, the the two major projects in California. One is federal, the Central Valley Improvement Project, and that begins in Lake Shasta, and and that's uh, more agriculture than it is uh, residential. The other one is the State Water Project, which begins in Lake Oroville and passes through the delta. Um, the contract on the state water project is 4 million acre feet, which metropolitan is 50% of that, which theoretically we would get 2 million acre feet, but it's really rare that you ever get 100% allocation. And this year, for example, our allocation is 5%, and on the federal project, it's 0%. So that's about as, uh, as bad as it gets. And then there are a lot of local uh, water districts all along the Western Sierra. There are um, different projects that are more local. And so uh, the contractors on the federal and the state uh, project usually have another supply. And so that's supplemental water. But, uh, you know, all over the state, uh, everyone's hurting. And groundwater production is also a very big part of the water supply in California. And and most uh, areas have a portion of their supply that comes from groundwater. 
You might explain groundwater, so you're primarily talking about wells. That's correct. And so these are uh, aquifers that they're maybe tapping into a water level that they're able to drill. I imagine they have to drill pretty, pretty deep to get water. Yes, I mean, it depends on the area, too. If you're closer to a watershed, you may not have to go quite as steep. But that's another situation where over the years, that water has been um, overpumped, and there's just no question about it. And so what may have taken centuries to develop uh, the water levels in a groundwater basin has been pumped out over the last, you know, 50 to 60 years. And it wasn't until a few years ago that the state of California enacted the um, groundwater sustainability management plan. And that's going to take a while to get into place, but um, that's going to be really difficult. To me, there's no question that a lot of ag land is going to go out of production. Some estimate as much as a million acres, but it's uh, overdue that we dealt with that problem or deal with it. And so, you know, the time is now and, and uh, working very hard to figure out how to do that uh, the best way for everyone involved and least impactful for, for the people that rely on that water supply. You know, Randy, I've heard that the, in some areas that the ground has sunk like 40 feet or some incredible uh, uh, number. Is that, is, is that close to, to correct? I'm not sure about the actual uh, footage, but yes, it's significant and it's causing tremendous issues with infrastructure. For example, the State Water Project Canal has uh, sunk in certain areas, which reduces the capacity, which means that we're unable to pump as much water as we want to when the water is available. And for example, when power is cheaper. So, uh, and you've also got highways and natural gas pipelines, and it's a it's a real issue that's going to have to be dealt with. And we're very hopeful that with uh, the money the federal government seems to want to make available for infrastructure, that we can access some of that to make those needed repairs. Because, you know, when we go back to talking about less snowpack and bigger rain events, we need to move that water really quickly. And if your infrastructure is not capable of doing that, it puts you in a bad situation. So those improvements are, are really sorely needed. Well, if you start dropping the ground that much, I'm thinking these canals get broken up. I mean, you you depend on water running downhill to be able to to get all the way to the other end of the state. And if there's disruptions, I would think that uh, in this in the whole canal system too, just if, with that much change in the in the ground levels, I would imagine yeah. has an impact. Absolutely, you're you're absolutely correct on that. Well, and I I think one thing I, I we're going to go visit a a clubhouse room, Randy. And I want to have a chance to have some other people join us in this conversation. Uh, but one thing we haven't even touched on, I just want to take a couple minutes on is that when you were, when you are involved in agriculture and, and you've, um, you've got vineyards yourself and uh, how does that, how's that balancing going on? I mean, when you've got a city like Los Angeles in the heart of the metropolitan and you've got agriculture all around it, um, are people getting along with each other and sharing? Are they? Uh, is it is it tricky to try to try to look after everybody's interests when you're cutting back as much as you are? 
It can be very tricky. I would say that uh, probably over the last decade or maybe 15 years, uh, ag and urban agencies have gotten along much better. I think in the past, it was kind of us against them, and we were fighting over a limited water supply. And I think that we have come to realize that maybe our biggest challenge that we share collectively is concern for the environment and concern for the areas where we pick up the water and a real need to deal with that. And we've also determined that there are years when ag can get by with less water, whether it's commodity prices or whatever, and the urbans need more. And so uh, Metropolitan has great partnerships with ag agencies throughout the state, uh, both on the Colorado River and um, in the state of California itself to, to try to work together on various issues and and try to share water in a way that helps us. And because every year is different, you know, it's, it's like farming when you depend on the weather, no two years are ever the same. Well, and, and when you're in a time when you're hearing about people getting, you know, 5% of what they, what they normally want or, and, and uh, that, that makes it awfully hard to share. I mean, when you talk the percentage cuts that's available all across the board, it's, like I said, I call it tricky. Yeah. It might be tragic, but it's um, it's it's a huge challenge. Uh, it's a tremendous challenge. That for urbans, I mean, if if you talk about metropolitan, the homeowner can afford to pay more per acre foot than a farmer can. There's just no question about it. And to get supplemental water to Southern California, it's a long distance, and you've got some big mountains to go over. So by the time you pump that water down there, it's very expensive and really not feasible for ag to use that in within the met service area but uh, the other thing that that metropolitan has done is increased storage i think 13 fold over the last 30 years so that uh, for example going into this year we had more water in storage than at any time in our history which is really good because this is uh as we talked earlier a very severe drought all those things cost money and the, the urbans can do it uh, you just can't find, I, I think, an ag agency that's going to be able to build storage on their own to be able to get through periods like we have now. Well, Randy, let's wander down the virtual hallway and see if there's anybody shows up in Clubhouse. And we'll have a little okay. conversation there and we'll finish up from that. And you're in the Farmer Table Talk room. And today we're going to be talking about water seems like we've talked about water quite a bit. You know, last night I was listening to, I was in a climate change room uh, here in Clubhouse, and, and one of them made the point that, uh, that water uh, and the impact the climate change is having on water is like the most important thing. And they were pointing out that if, you know, what we can live without, well, you know, we can only live without air for about three minutes, but we can only live without water for three days. Uh, where we can live without food for 60 days. And that's why I was interested in your comment earlier about people kind of acknowledging and accepting that climate change is having a, a huge, huge impact on the availability of, of water. And your explanation was the first time I'd really thought of it, about how parched the ground was and how just soaking up. I, I just think it's interesting to see people coming back around and recognizing there isn't anything more important than water. 
to expand a little bit more on how this is different in the past, because I think there's some people that react to what's going on in California and saying, well, they always are having droughts and, you know, it's always tough and they're always talking about water and what's new, uh, what's new about that. So I kind of pose that back to you. I mean, what's, what's new about this? I mean, you've mentioned climate change, but is there other evidence that this really is worse than what we've faced before when we've had bad droughts? Well, I think it is. And I think that it didn't just happen overnight, but even disregarding climate change, when you look at the state of California and how our water supply system works, when the state water project was built in the 60s, uh, it started in Lake Oroville and was supposed to include some conveyance going through the Bay Delta, but didn't. And that's never been built. And um, it's getting harder and harder to get that water through the Delta because of environmental issues. You know, everybody's for the environment. It's not that it's us against them, but if we don't have infrastructure to move the water without impacting the environment, then uh, we're going to be restricted in the amount of water that we can move. By having water uh, dumped into the Delta and then picked up at the Southern end, I mean, those pumps are so big that sometimes you make some of the rivers run backwards and that, that's not appropriate. That's not good for the environment. So if we had a conveyance system that would allow us to move that water without impacting the, the habitat, that would be great. And the other part of it is that back in 09, legislation was passed that talked about co-equal goals and talked about the state acquiring a lot of ground in the Delta for habitat because a lot of ground has been uh, moved into other uses that's not really supportive of the estuary and the habitat that's needed. And committing water to the estuary is a great thing, but if you don't have habitat to go with it, you're really not getting the true benefit of that water. So and that was 09. So that's 12 years ago, and we're on our third governor since then, and each governor has had his own plan. And in the meantime, the state has acquired very little habitat. So that is really... Um, frustrating that we haven't been able to try to reverse the decline in the delta so that the water supply delivery can be more stable and more reliable that was the whole idea uh, habitat restoration and water supply reliability well and Rand, randy you uh, when you were at metropolitan didn't you guys decide to put some money in towards investing in the tunnels that were supposed to circumvent the delta Absolutely. I mean, as the biggest contractor, we uh, were committed to that. And the original plan was for two tunnels, and we approved moving forward with that. There were other agencies, including some federal agencies, that decided they didn't want to make that investment. And at one point, Metropolitan picked up that part of it, saying, you know, you just can't have too much conveyance in the face of climate change when there are fewer rain events, but bigger ones. And as I said, less snowpack, and you gotta be able to move that water. As it turned out, when Governor Newsom came in, he decided that uh, a smaller conveyance, one tunnel would be more appropriate. And so we've started the environmental all over again. And Metropolitan is still committed to helping build that. I mean, the, this infrastructure improvement will be built by the water users. Uh, but we're at a point where uh, we just continue to keep working on the environmental and 
and we're not close to even beginning to do a project. And by the time the project is done, it'll be 10 to 15 years. So that's a long ways out there. So Kyle, those are really excellent points. And I'm wondering when you're working with farmers uh, all over and from your perspective, are they taking it seriously enough? Are you finding a widespread agreement among uh, among farmers? It's all hands on deck that we're, you know, this is a, a battle to exist in agriculture and they're looking at all these things and, and embracing them as aggressively as you'd like to see? Uh, maybe not as aggressively as I'd like to see. And I don't think that's not for lack of trying. It's because, again, speaking here in California, I only have three customers out of the state. Uh, but speaking here in California, there is there is so much um, control that goes in. And for good reason. I understand why it's there. You know, it's to protect, you know, spray drift from residential areas, especially schools and, you know, uh, labor restrictions and, and different things. And so we have to be mindful of that we have to be very careful with those things. But there's a lot of documentation that goes into play. So a lot of farmers are focusing on that. Kind of you and I were talking last night, Roger. It's and and kind of almost to Randy's point earlier in this discussion is there's so much going on that a lot of guys go, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what I do next. You know, what do I tackle? Because if I go and I try and tackle this, am I going to end up neglecting these? eight other things while I'm trying to get this dialed in and and then I'm it's just tit for tat, right? Now now I'm no better off than I than I was and I take the risk of maybe even being set back by trying to focus on that. Um and so it, it is it's it's a constant struggle to try and educate these guys, not talk numbers while talking numbers and to kind of show, right? So that example of taking a, a DU from an 85 to a 92, right, is not unreasonable. That's not that's not uh, unrealistic to make that jump. Um, that ends up being 90% of your water. And it does not direct correlation to your, your costs. There is a little bit of a skewed curve there, but 9%, it, those improvements would very quickly pay for themselves so if you want to ignore the environmental aspect of it, ignore the natural resource aspect of it, just 9% reducing your run times, reducing your chemical and biological inputs by 9%, that's a huge number. But you have to have somebody who's wanting to say, I'm willing to take this leap. I trust what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. And we have to do something. And I think that that's, you know, in all the discussions that we've had, uh, both privately and, and in here is, we're getting to that point. We're coming to that to that um, that yield where we're going to have to do something. And from that standpoint, that's what excites me is because we're going to see some amazing decisions being made and some great innovation that's going to get us going, um, even on a straighter and even narrower path going forward. Randy, I'm wondering from where you see you do you have enthusiasm for that vision? Do you see that? people are moving or making the changes and making the adjustments they need to to deal with this challenge? I mean, we hear that there's as many as a million acres that may be fallowed in the state of California this year, which has to translate into less food being available with over half of the salad crops that come uh, across the whole continent are coming from California. Uh, well, that kind of a cut means that there's going to be uh, a reduction in a, in a lot of the crops produced. So 
it's going to require some resilience on the part of these farmers. And from where you sit, Randy, as being one yourself and working with farmers and seeing the, the challenges facing with policy, I mean, how do you feel about where we stand right now and what our chances are to be making progress that we need to? Well, I think our, our chances are good. The challenges are great. Uh, you know, the biggest part about what I'm doing in my vineyard is trying to deal with weeds. That's really frustrating. But um, I know that Karen Ross, who you've had on, on here before, Roger, the uh, Secretary of Ag for the state, she's very focused on um, soil health. And maybe that's an option for ground that might permanently go out of production because of sigma and just the unreliability of, of water. So um, in the area that I have my, my vineyard, I don't see a lot of growers that are jumping on, but I think it's just a matter of time. And I'm optimistic that as the word gets out, and especially if we see um, better quality product that we're growing, I, I don't think there's any question that there's going to be a big movement in that direction. So I'm optimistic. I'm going to invite you to make one more comment too, Randy. I mean, you've been involved with so many of these groups and organizations in California that are have a water um, like what should I say, uh, water policies and also references on water irrigation, the soil programs. Any particular website that you would uh, recommend or organizations that you think that people that are listening to this conversation that would want to have a better understanding of what's going on with? You know, I think one of the best organizations, especially for ag water, is the California Farm Water Coalition. And it's a nonprofit and it's strictly for education. And they just have some amazing material about what it costs to, as far as in terms of water, to grow food. And um, there's just, uh, they have a perspective that's really interesting and really enlightening. So um, that's probably the first one yeah. that I would go to. The Water Education Foundation is also a good one. But if we're talking ag water, I, I definitely like the California Farm Water Coalition. I want to thank Randy Record and Kyle, Sam, Shannon, Glenn, Kate, Evelina, Chef, all you people down there that spent some time with us today because there's a lot going on. I appreciate the compliment that you come to the room. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.